Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Who was or is Raymore Bolak? Why do animals seem to be better attuned to the paranormal? Are there more ghosts in cities than in rural areas? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 421st broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Paul. I'm not Ben. Uh, he, he is. Uh, these diverse questions came from me. Uh, however, Ben is once again in transit from Emerson College in Boston. Uh, and we'll call in from the great beyond, probably in the latter half of the show, uh, great beyond, otherwise known as the Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority. And we will hope to hear from him a little bit later. We're doing an open line show this uh, this week, so let's dive right into that ever-growing stack of emails. Okay, we had a question here that had to do with, uh, from uh, one of our local listeners, that had to do with Raymore Bolock, someone I'm sure you have probably never heard of. However, I did happen to, it did ring a bell, and I looked it up, and it is a local issue here uh, in Woonsocket that had to do with the UFO outbreak here, if you want to call it that, of the 1960s, with which our good friend uh, Joe Ferrier was involved. Uh, Joe, who, uh, for those of you who don't know, was a a very dear friend of, of many people in Woonsocket, and he was the host for many, many years, I believe, if I'm not wrong, almost 50 years on this station, hosting the afternoon talk show of Woonsocket Open Line, and um, he recently passed and is uh, sorely missed. However, he also, under another hat, was a very, very popular and uh, prominent UFO investigator of the late 1960s. He was the publisher and editor of Probe Magazine, which was published right here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, and uh, hence the name Raymore Bolock. And uh, sure enough, I looked up in the, I believe it was the first edition of Probe Magazine from uh, 1960, oh no, it's not the first edition, but it's the first edition of the fifth volume, 1968, September 1968. Only cost 75 cents in those days. <laughs> Think of it. And uh, Raymore Bolock turns up in the context of a sighting by one of the other UFO aficionados in this area, whom I will not mention. He, as far as I know, is still living in the area and probably would not appreciate being brought up on the air, so I will uh, leave his name out of it. However, he made certain notes that appeared in Joe's magazine from 1968, and it has to do with this Raymore Bolock. And this fellow apparently would, not not Raymore, the person who was the narrator, would go out to look for UFOs in the eastern part of Woonsocket along uh, what the local people know as Elder Blue Meeting House Road, right near the Cumberland town line or beyond it, uh, looking for UFOs. Now, it said um, uh, he would never forget this particular night because he... Uh, was followed by a black Cadillac. Now, where does that ring a bell from? Any of you who are familiar with the notion of the men in black who supposedly harass people who have been UFO witnesses and tell them not to talk and sometimes seem almost semi-human and are really scary, uh, drive around supposedly in black Cadillacs, or at least they did. Uh, so here's uh, our friend writing, I headed for home, the Cadillac's still behind me, and when I turned into my yard, the black caddy just kept right on going, right past the house. Maybe it was maybe it was because the lone driver's lights were a distraction, but I could swear that there was no license plate on the front of the Cadillac. In Rhode Island, you've always had to have a front license plate. And no, there must have been a license plate, I just couldn't see it, who was driving the car. Why follow me all over the place like that? Looks like somebody's after me, but why? Okay, and this was written uh, near the date that this occurred in 1967. 
Uh, his further notes read, I'll never forget this night as long as I live. Uh, what is going on anyway? It's Thursday night about 9 p.m. I went into Powell's Tavern in North Smithfield in Rhode Island to relax and have a few drinks. I had four glasses of beer. And this might draw some pungent comments from skeptics. I uh, saw that it was 9.30 and decided to head for home. I was not inebriated at all and was in perfect control of all my faculties. I walked out of the door, walked toward my car, and noticed a man walking toward me. He came over. A, he came from a dark corner of the parking lot and apparently did not have a car, as I saw no cars parked there. When I went to open my car door, the man, who was still approaching me, met, called him by name. I turned to look at him, and he said, your name is so-and-so, isn't it? I had never seen the man before and felt that there was something weird about him. I told him that he was right, my name was so-and-so, and I asked him who he was. He stared at me and said, my name is Raymor Bolock. I understand you do quite a bit of sightseeing at Elder Blue Road. There was something rather really strange about the way he spoke. His voice was always at the same level. He never varied. And never varied, except when he definitely stressed the words Raymore Bolock. Now I'll pause there because I did a little research on that name, and for what it's worth, Bolock seems to be a section of the city of Cairo in Egypt. For what that might be worth, maybe it's just a coincidence. Uh, there w- this was a period when a lot of people were were encountering odd beings with singular names who claimed to be from other planets. One might, the suggestion has been made on this show before that perhaps these people were, shall we say, agents of either the government or whoever watches this stuff or was watching this stuff at that period and uh, simply picked odd names to make people think they were from other planets. Of course, they seem to look entirely human. Uh, although uh, there is a drawing here in the magazine of Raymore Bolock and a very um, uh, nicely combed hair. Uh, rather dark complexion, but otherwise rather human-looking, except for rather um, kind, of, kind of elongated eyes. And, of course, one associates that sometimes with people from somewhere else. Uh, and anyway, uh, when, and I'll continue with our friend's uh, narrative. When he first, he being Raymore Bolock, first talked to me, he had put slight emphasis on the word isn't, but not as strongly as on his name. I got the impression he wanted to be very sure of his, he wanted me to be very sure of his name. To his question, I said, that's right, how do you know about his UFO watching? And he just looked at me and said, I'll see you up there. Then he turned and walked away, back into the shadows at the corner of the parking lot, and I immediately jumped into my car and left. Then he describes Raymore Bullock. Um, this is uh, August 11th, uh, 1967, 2.15 a.m. I left the house of Joseph Ferrier after telling him of my experience with Bullock. I was followed by a black Cadillac the same one maybe, from near Joe's home all the way to my home, six and a half miles away. No license plate again. Now I'm sure of it. Now I know something is very wrong. I'd better watch it from now on. There was now an interval of 23 days wherein nothing unusual apparently was experienced by this man who was recounting this, this local, local gentleman from northern Rhode Island here. The next note is dated September 3rd, 1967. Uh, I was driving on Rentham Road in East Woonsocket, that's uh, to this day kind of a rural area. Uh, off to my right, I saw a very large human humanoid figure covered with dark hair. As it turned and ran from the roadway, I looked something. it looked something like a gorilla, but it stood very erect and was about 10 to 12 feet tall. It had very long arms that hung almost to its knees. I couldn't see any detail. Now, today we would call this a Bigfoot, now because the Sasquatch and the... 
uh, Bigfoot, if it exists, has been known for many, many uh, hundreds of years by the natives and later on. But they generally were not reported in the vicinity of one socket. And uh, the narrative continues. Just a huge, hairy form. I slammed on my brakes to see where it had gone, but I couldn't find any trace of the creature. Now, what the devil was that all about? Well, whatever it was, I, it was better than Bolock. Him, I don't ever want to see again. Right? So this continues uh, his adventures with this fellow. Um, and uh, then there was a sighting of a uh, sort of a sh- cigar-shaped craft in the area as well. Uh, we come now to the, this is in the article f- from Joe's Magazine, we come now to the fifth and final notation for the strange series of events. The notation was dated September 5th, 1967, 8.35 p.m. Uh, quote, oh no, not again. Who is this weird character? Why doesn't he just leave me alone? I wish we'd get him on the show. I took a walk in front of my house. I was relaxed and smoking a cigarette. They did that in those days. When I suddenly had an urge to turn around and there he was. He just seemed to appear from nowhere because I hadn't heard him approaching. But if I hadn't heard him, then why did I turn around? I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that Bolock was back. He gave me that cold, unfeeling stare, and then he spoke. Uh, So-and-so, you seem to know too much about flying saucers and us. We feel that you should get out of this field and dispose of what you have. I will see you just once more for my decision. I just stood there and listened because he seemed to cast a spell that stopped me from interrupting him. I watched him turn and walk away until he was out of sight. He never even turned around to look back, and he wore the same dark clothes that he wore when I first met him. After the second meeting and the chain of events before, I'm now absolutely positive that this person and whoever else he is connected with is out to stop me in any way that they can. I'm afraid uh, I think something terrible is going to happen to me. That's it. That's all that was written. Uh, the story of this fellow who wrote this, and this is from, from Joe here, the story of the fellow and the strange sequence of events that befell him does not end here. There is much more to the story. Little of it is good. Most of it is unfortunate. Now, I don't know what the rest of the story is, folks, because I, this is the only copy of the magazine I have. Joe has left us, and, and uh, so I, I don't know, unless the gentleman wants to contact me who uh, is involved in this, who, as I say, still lives in the area. Anyway, having discussed his experience with him a number of times, this is Joe speaking again, the last just before this article went to press, it is my carefully considered opinion that due to the personal and delicate nature of events that subsequently transpired, to delve any further into his story at the present time would most likely be detrimental to the gentleman's health and well-being. Suffice it to say that the promised final visit from Bullock has not, as of this writing, transpired, and, and... the gentleman still retains his interest in unidentified flying objects. So that is a long answer to the short question, who was Raymore Bolock? So anyway, we'll continue to the next email, and uh, I do invite the gentleman, if he recognizes himself from this story, uh, at some point to uh, contact us and tell us about this, uh, albeit uh, many years ago uh, when it occurred. This is from, oh, this came up last night on our CBS edition, and uh, I, I, and I, several people pointed out that I really didn't finish explaining it, because we had a call from one of our show reporters, and that pretty much took up most of the rest of the show. Uh, this is from Marty S. in Elkhart, Indiana, and Marty was, was writing, I've always wanted to ask you about your experiences witnessing people shifting from one life to another. That is really interesting, but I hear other people talking about their NDEs, NDE standing for near-death experiences, 
And all over the world, they talk about going through a tunnel of light and meeting Jesus or loved ones. Uh, what's the difference between these people and the ones you witnessed? Um, he says, a P.S. here, I'm getting up there in years and I'm starting to think about this stuff more. Well, Marty, I sympathize with that. And our producer's looking at me as though he does too. So in any case, there are a number of things out there about near-death experiences that are, are generally believed but are not necessarily accurate. One is that everyone has the same experience, basically. Uh, that is not the case. Not everyone experiences the tunnel and the light and all this business. It seems that that is very common. Some people have had horrible experiences in near de- in the sort of a near death situation now let me let me look at that term as well near death experiences if these people were really dead they wouldn't be near death experiences they'd be death experiences i think i had a near death experience many years ago when we lived in in cumberland rhode island and ben was just uh, gosh i don't even think he was one yet and uh i unbeknownst to myself had pneumonia and atrial fibrillation going on that i knew about cuz my heart felt really strained and I, I suddenly began to kind of fade. This is before I went to the hospital, but I kind of began to fade. And, and I had this this vivid vision, I guess you might call it, of something very odd. Uh, it was like a, a cave in the side of a mountain, uh, which was not um, natural. It was There was stonework around it as though someone had built it. In the middle of the cave was this giant lizard. Now, I'm not a reptile kind of guy, but this, the colors of this were just so magnificent that it was, there was nothing negative about it. Most people wouldn't associate the iguanas or stuff or whatever it was with something good, but I just got the most wonderful feeling from this. Don't ask me why, but that's the thing. And then some, I kind of got the feeling, go to the hospital, stupid. So off I went. Believe it or not, I drove myself out. And I left Ben with a friend, and uh, that was that. Was that. I, it never happened again. I suppose that might have been some kind of near-death experience. I ended up at what is now Landmark Hospital in critical condition. Like, this is many years ago. and uh, I don't, So don't ask me, but I didn't see any tunnel of light or anything, and I, I, didn't, I wasn't clinically dead or it wasn't anything that, it, that serious. It was serious, but not that bad. So I don't know. You tell me. But there are many, many experiences that, uh, that vary. Uh, from, from place to place and time to time. What he is referring to here, what Marty is referring to in his note is experiences witnessing people shifting from one life to another are experiences that I've had in the course of paranormal cases in which the entities I have come in contact with do not seem to be, and this is how I got sort of convinced of, of the bizarre uh, theories that I have today that don't really agree with what most people think ghosts are. Most people think ghosts are spirits of dead people. Well, I've never found that. I found that to be the actual people existing in parallel worlds, and some of those worlds are pretty weird, such as in the case of uh, a man I encountered. This was in an attic in Yonkers, New York, in, in uh, 1974, from not no, uh, 75, I don't remember where I found, but it was in the mid-70s when I was a student. Uh, the seminary there, and uh, in this attic, this this guy communicated very clearly. I could hear his voice even. That he was at a church in Virginia. Everything was made of stone. He didn't know what was going on. He uh, was eating by going down into what apparently was the church hall, and there was food in there. So I mean, so I'm saying, if the guy's dead, what's he doing eating? And uh, to make a long story short, this guy appeared to be transitioning from one. 
life to another in a parallel world. And he seemed to have some memory of going down in an airplane, but that, that memory ceased as we were talking. And he soon, I, I could hear a door opening and people were coming in as though, as if it was like choir practice or his family. And he was, and he was, he, he seemed perfectly at home. But at first he was afraid of me because he saw me as a mist in a corner by, by a pillar of, of this, of this stone church. It was utterly bizarre. And I didn't realize what the heck was going on. It was really confusing. And for several years, but until I discovered quantum theory and the idea of parallel universes, this is what was happening. So this is what this fellow was referring to in this letter. How does this square with near-death experiences when people don't experience anything like that, but see Jesus or, or the, their family or the Virgin Mary or the Buddha or whatever is going on there? Well, I don't particularly see any transition. We assume that this tunnel and this light is some kind of a transition to what we would call death. What I've found with the light, and Ben and I have photographs of this, is that the light is not a a boundary between the, the material world and the spirit world, but the boundary between almost always two material worlds, which are parallel to each other and sometimes overlap and interact. That's what we find. So I think this is what these people could be experiencing uh, simply um, in, in a sort of a normal, multiversal way. It might not necessarily at all be. There are many worlds in which our loved ones and our ancestors are still, uh, you know, romping about, uh, doing whatever they were doing and uh, care about us, and, and many in which they're very aware of other worlds and all this kind of thing. Anything that can be conceived, and uh, a number of physicists believe this, does exist in some uh, parallel world or parallel time or whatever, and it all exists simultaneously. And there is a question later on that kind of gets into more of this, but I, I don't see any conflict at all, if that's what you're getting at, Marty, uh, between one of these scenarios and the other. I think it's all part and parcel of sort of the same thing, if that theory is correct. Okay, let's move on here to Mandy. Uh, doesn't want me to use her last name. I don't think I could pronounce it even if it did. From Petaluma, California. And uh, she says, hi, Paul and Ben. I never miss you, your shows, and when I do, I really appreciate the podcast. I think that's tongue-in-cheek, the free podcast. Well, we like to keep them free as long as we can, but I, when, if, you, if you are interested in buying my books, buy them on our website. That will help us keep the podcast free. Anyway, I wanted to ask you what you always ask your guests. Has it ever happened to you? Uh, I know a lot has, but I was especially interested in whether either of you uh, have seen a UFO or has had a close encounter. All right. That's kind of a tough question, uh, Mandy. I, I, I really can't speak for my son, uh, but he, I think, has had a few experiences of that kind as far as sightings are concerned. I don't really know. I have had a lot of things I have questions about, and... Uh, as a matter of fact, I, we want, we've often have Stan Friedman on the show. If anybody watches the uh, cable channels, History Channel, Discovery Channel, Stanton Friedman is uh, known as the sort of the grandfather of ufology, and he's a dear friend of ours and has been on the show many times. And I once asked him early on, Stan, you are one of the greatest UFO experts in the world. Have you ever seen a UFO? And he said no. He himself, in, 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 he's one of the few people out there with more experience than I do with this. I've been at this 42 years. He's been at it for... 50 plus years and he said he really does not 
see has not seen anything he thought would be a flying saucer as it's always been called although at uh, one time we interviewed him and he was in new hampshire at the exeter ufo festival where we occasionally will meet with him and be well, ben and i will sometimes be ourselves and he did say oh the, people called him out of the building and he got there just a little bit too late to see what they believed was a ufo so in other words i don't think i've really honestly had any sort of experience like that on the other hand on our very first broadcast when we were back this is back in 08 when we were on, on a uh, on a humble uh, internet station out of uh, phoenix arizona we were broadcasting uh we were connected with them over the internet from our home in Woonsocket, up on fairmount hill and the um the, the the signal went out several times and ben later came running down after the show and said dad you have to see this now we have an attic in our house with skylights so we can do bird watching and stuff and he said, Dad, you're not going to believe this. There are UFOs around uh, the steeple of Holy Family Church uh, over there on, I believe it's South Main Street. Am I right? I've lived here for how many years? I don't know the geography. And the uh, someone in the neighborhood reported that the lights had gone out in that area and that um, they had seen strange lights in the sky. And Now, now I, I don't know. We did see some things. I can't vouch for what they were. I know that certain birds... Uh, and there are spotlights on that tower. Certain birds can reflect light, but it wasn't really the kind of time of year when you expect this. I don't know. So, uh, again, another long answer to a short question. I really can't say that I've had any particular experiences with UFOs or abductions or anything else. Uh, ben might tell you a different story, and maybe we can ask him if and when he calls in. So thank you for writing in, Marty. Uh, this one is kind of long, so I'll put that aside for now. Here's one from Lindsay in Converse, Texas. And uh, she says, hello, uh, you are right that the explanations for paranormal stuff are weirder than the stuff itself. Thanks to you, uh, whenever I hear about something paranormal, the answers pop right into my mind. That must be a parasite or that could be a time slip of some guy from a parallel world. Now, all of my friends listen to your show and sometimes we listen together. And they say the same thing you do. You don't have to be afraid. And yes, you can use my full name. Oh, okay. Lindsay Ruiz from Converse, Texas. Well, thank you, Lindsay. There's no question in there, but I'm grateful that you listen and that your friends are getting something out of it. We always say the more you can explain something, the less you have to be afraid of it. And one of our slogans here is, it's not the, it's, it's not explaining the paranormal that's the problem. It's handling the explanations. And in doing so, you get into this multiverse stuff that we believe. And more and more investigators are starting to... I've had people contact me who have been long-time investigators. And so, you know, they said, we've been thinking more and more about what you've been saying about this, and it makes sense. And we've started to put it into practice. So if we're having some influence on the field, and you know, and we believe that it's true, that then, then that's good. And uh, thank you uh, for writing in, Lindsay. appreciate very much... Uh, your your note, uh, Ben is always yelling at me for using people's full names when they, so I try to avoid that. Okay, all right. Here, oh, these are long ones here. Uh, here's another short one because we're coming up on a break from Chan Chandra in Arlington, Massachusetts. Uh, like you say, Paul and Ben, things in the world are getting weird. I am hearing more and more about possible aliens among us, alien human babies and uh, hybrids and an alien plan for humans. What is going on with this? Well, uh, I don't think anybody really knows that, Chandra. I mean, there's a lot of this stuff that I take with a pillar of salt. Uh, however, one never knows. 
I've seen some strange things in uh, all the years I've been at this, and we have not spent a lot of time on UFOs. We do a lot, mostly what you'd call ghost research, I guess, things of that kind. But we've gotten more into this uh, uh, cryptozoology and UFOs lately. The um, the issue of the alien-human thing we deal with on the show when we have guests who know more than we do about this. Among these are the Reeds, um, Tom Reed and his son, who have been the victims of what the Mutual UFO Network calls the, the best documented family abduction in American history, or one of the best. Uh, this involved uh, their father, uh, his uh, Tom's brother, uh, they believe for several generations, including their grandmother. Uh, Tom was in the car at one point in, I believe it was central Massachusetts, when a UFO came over the car, and uh, they had some, I believe they had some missing time, hoping getting this right. And uh, the, the uh, his mother and grandmother were involved and remembered everything. And it was just, it was, you know, certainly very well, very well uh, witnessed and documented. So there are things like this that happen. Uh, one of the, the common themes in this is that they are doing genetic experiments on humans. And uh, some there is some opinion that they are not from other planets, but they are from the future and are uh, trying to reestablish their own DNA because they are our descendants remote descendants. So who knows really what this is all about. I've learned, and I learned as a reporter too for many years, to be very careful what you don't believe. I was sitting in the newsroom at what is now the Kent County Daily Times in West Warwick at one point, and somebody called and said that Joe Frazier, the heavyweight champion of the world, was was sitting in a bar in Coventry in the next town. So again, not being too sure what not to believe, I grabbed the sports editor because I didn't know the first thing about sports, and went over it. Sure enough, there was Joe Frazier, who would not talk to the press. This is in 1979. Would not talk to the press, but gave me a half-hour private interview in a corner of the thing. And needless to say, it was the front page of the paper the next day. Anyway, that wasn't very paranormal, but it was. It shows you, you know, you never know what not to believe. So uh, I'm open-minded to all this, but I really couldn't tell you much about the alien human baby thing, except that it's been reported very frequently. So we. In a minute, we'll take a break. But um, I would just say, keep listening to the show and go back to our podcasts on BehindTheParanormal.com for uh, lots of free podcasts on this subject. And just look down the list and you'll see uh, a number that, of shows that might interest you and could inform you uh, more about that, that subject. Okay, here is, uh, oh, here's the one I was referring to before. This is from Dolores M. in Santa Fe, New Mexico. A lot of people from the West are writing it today. Uh, hi, Paul and Ben. As a hospice nurse, I find your ideas on death really interesting. So in the multiverse theories, we are re- we are really eternal beings, question mark. Is that my son by any chance? They hung up. They hung up. Oh, must have been. It was Raymore Bolock. <laughs> anyway, eter- are we really eternal beings? What does this do to our sense of self? I can see where some of the ancient cultures reflect these ideas. Well, it's very interesting. I'm always interested in speaking to uh, nurses and doctors who are, who are involved with the dying. And here's a hospice nurse uh, who is um, kind of interested in the ideas here. Uh, you know, I would say, uh, Dolores, that we are really not living um, for eternity. I think we live in eternity. And there's a difference there. I was just describing this multiverse idea in which all things, past, present, future, all possibilities, all probabilities, all are concrete, real, and all are simultaneous. 
Now, since we can't, our, our, our consciousnesses really can't handle that, our subconsciousness, consciousnesses handle it, but consciously we sort of, and even Einstein said this, time is a function of our consciousness. We kind of organize it in our own minds, and we do so as a species. We are kind, and this is what quantum physicists, I think, are talking about very often. They say that we, in a way, kind of create our own time stream and reality as a race because we are um, not quite up to handling the whole multiverse thing at once. Other other beings out there are uh, who live, who might be you might, what you might call our neighbors, but the whole death thing is not what it appears to be. Most things in life are not. Certainly most things in the paranormal are not what they appear to be. So I would say... Um, uh, the idea, well, yeah, th- th- those are the ideas on death. So, uh, I don't say we, we really would be eternal beings, but that we live in eternity. What does it do to our sense of self? Well, I, I tend to agree with Professor Amit Gatswami, who is not only a renowned physicist and quantum physicist, he is also a mystic in the Indian tradition. And he says that our sense of self is a sense of self-reference, that the sense of self is an illusion. And I've really seen that in paranormal work and in trying to work on my own spirituality. Ben could tell you some things about that because for his age, he is, in my opinion, very spiritually advanced. Of course, maybe I'm a little biased, but uh, I think our sense of self is a sense of self-reference and that our self is, when you look at people next to you, that's yourself. And I always cite the, the passage from Matthew, love your neighbor as yourself, which is mistranslated in Greek. It it's, comes across very clearly as love your neighbor because he is yourself. Bingo. That's it. That's the secret right there. That's that's the secret of the multiverse. So there we are. So that that's, uh, I guess, an answer to that. I think we're going to take a break right now, and we'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal on WON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stick with us. Hi, Rick Pickard here. The great sounds of rock and roll is back. Every Sunday from 1 to 4, Memory Lane will be playing songs from the 50s and early 60s. Be part of the great memories and sounds. See you there. Owen Radio. Owen Worldwide. And welcome back. And we have another writer in from Petaluma, California. That's the second one tonight. This is Michael. Uh, doesn't want his full name used. Okay. Uh, hello, Paul and Ben. I am a screenwriter out of Northern California, and I've been fascinated with the paranormal all my life, though I didn't have any actual experience with it. That is until 2001. I had been living in Hollywood, and in January of that year, a good friend of mine and I decided to leave that crazy place and move up north to a little sleepy town in Sonoma County called Occidental. Later, I found um, that one of my favorite minds in the world, Terrence McKenna, also spent time there. I'm not entirely sure who that is. I do apologize. It was there while living in a house in the woods next to an old cemetery called Druid's Cemetery. That's an interesting name. Uh, that I would have experiences that would change my life forever. When I tried to describe the events that took place there to others later, I would receive only crazy looks and disbelief. Uh, and if I hadn't gone through it personally, I might have done the same. Anyway, long story short, I recently came across your name and your son's while doing some online research for a screenplay, and as I read through your theories, it started to resonate deeply with what happened to my friend and I out there. 
the energies we were channeling, that's an interesting term to use, seeing, feeling, did not feel or seem like ghosts. I never believed we were living in a haunted house. It never fit into that mold. It felt as if the location of the house, the time, and what we were doing in there, uh, parentheses, we were recording a music album, uh, close parentheses, thinned the veil between dimensions and allowed us to peek at something extraordinary. As I read through your webpage, I was shocked and delighted to hear you describe in detail many of those entities, little people, giants, and the darker forces. I saw all those things with my own eyes. I'm running a pretty long message here, so I'll sum up. I just wanted to thank you for your insight, and I look very much forward to absorbing some of your experiences and thoughts through these podcasts. I ordered your books from Amazon and blew through them in a couple of days. I would love to talk to you. Now, I am in touch with Michael. And uh, we will be doing some talking. Uh, this is this is how far behind we are. This is from May of last year. This came in, and I will see if I can gather some more about his experiences. It sounds very interesting. Uh, we what we're what we're dealing with here, I believe, is multiple worlds, literally, which are all very different. Uh, we uh, we do we do Halloween shows now and then. Uh, usually here on ON, and we will uh, end with with the tongue in cheek, not that so tongue in cheek comment that because everything is possible in the multiverse, something like the Great Pumpkin must exist somewhere or somewhere, or Charles Schultz, the creator of the Peanuts comic strip, never would have heard of it, or never would have been able to conceive it. Because I believe that our imaginations and our knowledge and our what wisdom we have comes from parallel lives, which is all just part of us, that we're living in these multiple worlds. Maybe that's wrong, but I don't think so. I'm very interested here particularly to talk to Michael about the Druids Cemetery. You know, the names of things always give you clues about what people experience there. The Native Americans, when, and if you read my history of Rhode Island, which most of the audience probably isn't interested in, but if you do read that, I, I made it a point to notice that you could literally walk across the landscape of, in our case, New England, and find your way to things you needed, literally by following the native place names. Uh, we have uh, where you could go fishing, the place where we make pitch, uh, really kind of tongue twister names like uh, uh, Patuxet, Patucket, or Pocketuck. Uh, Patucket in the, the Algonquian language group means place of big falls, Patuxet means place of little falls, and Pocketuck means place of no falls at all. All right. Uh, up north of us here in Webster, Massachusetts, is Lake uh, Chawbogagog, Manchogagog, Chawbunagungamog. Uh, it's been shortened a little bit, but it means you fish on your side, I'll fish on my side, nobody fishes in the middle. Okay, so the place names mean something, not necessarily paranormal, but Druid Cemetery must have gotten that name for a reason. And I'm very curious to find out what it is. So we'll cue you in on what Michael has to say once we... Uh, Find out there with the, when we spoke, speak with him. Okay, here is a very interesting one. I'm um, looking for the one from the psychiatrist here. Okay, well, all right. Oh, yeah, here it is. This is, uh, there's no name, just I don't blame him. It's Dr. L from somewhere in the USA. <laughs> this in. And uh, hi, Paul and Ben. I am a hospital psychiatrist, and I have li- listened to your shows on possession, as in, what is commonly known as demonic possession, with great interest. And I can assure Paul that one thing has not changed since the 1970s when he worked in psychiatric hospitals. Most of my colleagues are mad as hatters themselves, as Paul would say. Now, give background on that. I was a seminary student in the 1970s, and a part of uh, my pastoral training was to work in psychiatric hospitals in Connecticut and New York State, 
and uh, I encountered there a number of things, and uh, including working with a priest and working on exorcism cases, things of that kind. So that's what this is. I didn't. I wasn't actually a staff member at a psychiatric hospital. But what, and, and continue with um, Doctor L's letter here. But what brings patients to us might be more insidious. People's lives are a mess. Their families are non-existent half the time. The drugs they use are more and more destructive. Most of the young people are suicidal. I could go on and on. This is really depressing. I really see the parasite influence you guys talk about. I always felt there was some kind of negative presence in the hospital and certainly with many of my patients. But you guys put a finger on it. Put your finger on it. Something is feeding off these people. The problem now, compared to when Paul was dealing with this, is that half the hospital staff is into the occult. They talk about their psychics and the seances they have been to, and a few of them do channeling. That's come up before in the show. What channeling is is supposedly uh, receiving. And it, it's it's the old-time spiritualist notion of kind of a seance. You receive information from somebody, and it comes through you. Because yeah, the trouble is you don't know where it's coming from, if it's legitimate at all. At the same time, doctors, I'm continuing with the letter. At the same time, doctors in my field have become less skeptical about the paranormal because we see things in the time, at all the time, that, can't, that we can't explain in any other way. My question after all this rambling is, how do you tell parasite influence, influence from plain human stupidity? And how do you sort out possession in such a complicated scenario? Well, let me say, Dr. L., whoever you may be, I really admire you for what you do. I don't have a lot of respect for the psychiatric profession, with, with many exceptions whom I happen to know who are fine fine doctors, MDs, medical people. But it, all too often it's become a sort of a candy store for antipsychotic drugs. And uh, in, in the days when I was working in psychiatric hospitals, working with this stuff, there were a lot more inpatients than there are today, mainly because the states can't afford it anymore. So they fill your pockets with pharmaceuticals and off you go, and uh, that accounts for much of the homeless problem in many areas. So uh, in any case, I do admire what you uh, are doing, probably without patients here, certainly, Dr. L. The uh, the question you ask is a very difficult one. One of the, the standards we used when we were working in, in this case, Augensburg State Hospital in New York State, what I, what I was thinking of, was when something began, the doctors were running into things they couldn't explain with patients who were judged, were diagnosed pretty much schizophrenic. We were able to sort of pin down a number of things, such as um, things occurring outside the person that could not have been affected by them. In other words, when you're standing in somebody's room, and they're cursing and swearing and sitting up in bed and doing all kinds of strange things, and things are falling off shelves or moving on their own in the room you begin to kind of get suspicious that maybe something's going on here besides uh, uh, some sort of uh, uh, psychosis here. Uh, who, who, who we have... It's Ben. Oh, it's Ben. Uh, ben, uh, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Just uh, Have you been listening at all uh, on your... Uh... Uh, I have, but it's been uh, cutting off during random sentences. Okay. So I've, 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 heard, I've heard most of it. I've heard about uh, two-thirds. Okay. Uh, we're talking about now Dr. L's letter here. I don't know where he's from. He's a hospital psychiatrist. Uh, oh, I missed that. Okay. Well, he's been talking about uh, his question on possession here, and he's been saying that uh, we have um, the, th- the things he deals with in these hospitals is just terrible. Uh, people with no families, a lot of negativity, and he thinks that we're right about 
something feeding off a lot of these people. So he's kind of asking me about my opinion, because I'm the one who kind of worked in psychiatric hospitals here. And he said, how do you tell parasite influence from plain human stupidity? And I was saying that we generally would look for something that is outside the person, some phenomena that may be occurring that uh, are not directly caused physically by the person, uh, no matter how negative their condition may be. And that, that's kind of... happens to other people. Oh, that's right. Things, things like that. So, um, so but I think that that might bear further discussion. Uh, we had another one. You might like to comment here. Um, we had one from a hospice nurse talking about our ideas on death, and we had a very interesting one from um, uh, who is this? This is someone we're going to be in t- we're going to be in touch with. I suppose I should tell you about these things. Uh, it's from Rich. Uh, oh no, this is this is uh, another one. This is uh, okay. We got piles and piles of these things. Um, here's one okay well let's just start a new one you can pick up from there this is from megan in taylor michigan uh probably listens to us on the great womc on sunday nights uh hi guys your show is great and i heard you talk about this before i see the ghost of myself interesting it is like being in a scary movie i do not see myself face to face but my back going around corners it is my hair and the same clothes I'm, I am wearing, so I know it is me. My sister has seen me too. My dad has not, but my mom has. Never the, uh, just, just, never, never the face, just the back, and just a second, just for, just for a second. Is my house haunted? What does this ghost want, or is it me in another world? You want to feel that one? Wow. Well, that's interesting. That is definitely interesting. I'd probably have to say, um, let me think here. We do get uh, this a lot. I do? No, we do. We get a relatively you know, decent amount of people writing in about this kind of thing. You know, it's, oh. it's known in literature as the doppelganger, like the double. We even yeah, did a show on that once. German meaning double or twin. Right. But, um... No, I'd, I'd have to say there are a few questions I'd like to ask because she doesn't really give that much detail. Yeah, that, that's the problem. Do, well, of course, then we tell them not to make it too long, so it's unless they use the thesaurus to write their emails, and <laughs> I, I really don't see how else they'd be able to for uh, provide such details. So we're offering our listeners a catch twenty two situation. <clears throat> Essentially, yes. Well, I would just, I would just say to Megan here, you know, if there's not more to it than this, and we always qualify these things by saying that, please let us know if there is. People never tell us everything. Uh, people are seeing this, and they're not seeing their face. It just looks like you. I've run into this a lot over the years. I remember a case in Glastonbury, Connecticut in uh, 1975, I believe, and it is recounted in my 1998 book, Faces at the Window. There was a young girl probably about the age of this writer, who was had been involved in using Ouija boards, and there was a double that would keep appearing, um, whether it was a tulpa or whatever, that's another story. But uh, the whole family would see it, and she would see it bending over her at night, and uh, it took a while to get rid of it, but we had to get rid of the Ouija board first. So I would ask Megan, first of all, is anybody in your house or you using any sort of occult techniques that you shouldn't be doing, seances or anything like that, sort of these techniques that punch holes in space-time and, and ring the, the dinner bell for parasitical entities that can come in and make a mess out of your life. <clears throat> so uh, that's the first question, question I would ask, because this has the ring 
of other cases in which I've seen that. Uh, what does this ghost want? Uh, she writes, what makes you think it's a ghost? Uh, ghost is a spirit. I, I, well, I guess the ghost in, in the classical sense is the spirit of somebody who's dead. And this appears to be you. You are certainly very much alive. So I'm very careful with that term. Or is it me well, she, in another she world? Kind of covers, well, she kind of covers herself with the next sentence. She does. She does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, can't really get on her too hard about that. No, that's true. Sorry, Megan, didn't mean to pick on you. But it is possible that it's her in another world. But just the fact that, I don't know, it just, how does this, what kind of feel do you get from this, Ben? Negative? Yeah, I don't really know. First of all, I'm not really looking at the email, so I can't see the words she wrote and look at it over and over again. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's true. So, um, I think it, it bears following up, and I would ask that, that Megan send us uh, some more information on this. Where's she from again? Um, uh, Taylor, Michigan. Probably yeah, listen, okay. listens to our Sunday show anyway. But um, Now, here's an interesting one. This is for both of us. This is from Rich. And this just came out. It happened to come to my attention uh, rather more quickly than most of these do. This is from Rich in Vancouver, British Columbia. And it's a bit of a long one, but we, we can do it. Uh, first, I must say that I truly enjoy listening to you and your son talk about the paranormal. When I listen to you talk about some of the cases that you worked on years ago, you can hear the passion in your voice as you tell what happened to you in detail in each of your cases. Well, some of these are still vividly in my mind, and they're very personal experiences. I guess the biggest thing is that you and Ben both think outside the box. Sorry? That was the uh, announcement thing. Oh, yeah, that's right. I should say Ben is on the on the train on the way back from school. <laughs> so we're, we're, yeah. we're cobbling together these shows. Um, I myself have always been like that with most things in life as I always try to keep a, perspe- a positive outlook on whatever life dishes out. And if something doesn't feel right or just isn't adding up uh, to what your gut is telling you, it's time to change uh, for a change outside the box. Now back to my question for you. And I have uh, many inside my head, but only one for today, as I know you are busy people. I just finished reading for the second time a book written back in 2005 called Hunt for the Skinwalker. Uh, I don't know if you've read that yet, Ben, but I have. It's very good by Colin Kelleher and George Knapp. George Knapp is is a reporter in Las Vegas, and he sometimes fills in on Coast to Coast AM. Uh, the probably the prominent show in this field. Uh, I don't know if you have read the book or not. I have, actually. But if you haven't, I will try not to give too much away. Uh, what are your thoughts about this strange case in Utah? That's what the book is about. Some of the things that happened to the family that lived there for 20-some months are beyond weird or strange from the very beginning, with the large wolf to orange doorways in the night sky opening up with dark creatures popping out of them. There are so many strange things that happened to that family uh, and the scientists, uh, you could write 10 pages telling them all on paper and then some. Um, so I have read that, uh, Rich, and I, I really, as a matter of fact, uh, I guess he's suggesting we do a show on that. Uh, and I actually, Rich, have tried to reach both, well, not so much George, but Colin Kelleher, who was the, uh, uh, one of the people certainly involved with this, and I have never been able to get a response uh, we will keep trying because, as you say, this case is exactly what uh, we are talking about. Uh, the events, uh, this is uh, Rich's letter continuing here, the events that happen at this ranch run parallel to what you guys talk about on your show, 
Please let me know what you think about this as soon as you can. Maybe you could interview someone, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I have written to Rich to try and, uh, or I'm about to anyway, to try and uh, get some more information here and uh, see what else he might be able to suggest. But uh, there uh, were scientists I know working on this Skinwalker Ranch case for eight plus years. Now, Ben, you're uh, you've had more um, study of Skinwalkers than I have. Well, not. Really? Only well, by, like, you've been in Arizona. Talking with one person. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you were at the reservation in Arizona, and the uh, I guess you said that the um, one of the young people on the reservation was very surprised that you were a European and knew, or you're of European extraction and knew about skinwalkers. Well, I, I have a basic knowledge of what they are, but I, I got the feeling that this kid was just trying to, like, mess with us. Yeah. But then when I actually was, like, knowledgeable about it, he sort of backed off a bit. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to, you know with the white guy from uh, wherever. Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah. Rhode Island. Which well, nobody in the rest of America knows where Rhode Island is, so. Yeah, I was in, I was in California uh, doing a book tour, and I had to uh, get a prescription filled, and, and, the, and the prescription it said, Rhode Island, New York. I mean, yeah, heaven I help. Yeah, I, I can't even believe that. Nobody studies. I mean, we're not that small. Anyway... Uh, I found this well, very interesting, the point. Yeah. In, yeah, yeah, in particular reference to our case in in Torrington, Connecticut, that we were always talking about. Uh, the we we refer to that as Connecticut's Skinwalker Ranch because things like this have been reported from that site that we've been working on for almost eight years. So that's what kind of made me think of this. So Ben, yeah, uh, exactly. I, I still have, I don't really know that much about Skinwalker Ranch myself. I really need to read about it. Yeah, we have the book. At home, so you, uh, I'll, I'll let, let, I'll let it to you. I have so. lots, lots of things to read, so that'll have to be added to the list. Yeah. So, uh, what are your thoughts, um, generally this evening as you, as you come home? We've been talking about, uh, lots of, uh, multiversal things, uh, ghosts and other things in I wanted to go back to the email that you guys actually met, that you mentioned earlier, you guys. <laughs> You're the only person there besides Steve. Yeah. But, um, I'm, uh, that was like asking about UFO experiences and things like that, and, you said you couldn't speak for me, and then it dropped off, so I didn't really hear the rest of what you said. So, Oh, well, someone asked if we ourselves had had UFO experiences. They said they were going to ask what we always ask our guests, and uh, if we ourselves had had UFO experiences. And I really can't say for sure whether I did, certainly nothing serious. And I did mention the first time we were on the air uh, through the Phoenix uh, station there, and, and there were strange uh, lights seen uh, over Woonsocket that particular evening, and you yourself had seen some, and I went up and there were some weird things uh, in the vicinity of that steeple. So other than that, I didn't mention, but I mentioned that you yourself had reported a certain experience uh, in, in the car, was it one time? You were in, oh, I think that was when I was coming back from a friend's house with Marion. Yes. Uh, I don't really remember that that well. I just remember, actually, I think it might have been a point. Now that I think about it. Okay, so don't know those that we really don't know. I guess uh, we have a caller? Yeah, hi. How are you? Oh, very good. Oh, Scott from Oxbridge. How are you? I'm fine tonight. I was wondering if you could help me. Uh, I want to find out some more information about a place. And it's, it started years ago on TV. It's out in either New Mexico or Arizona. And it's it's some kind of a strange building where, like, water runs uphill and if you're walking down, a, like a say a, a plank, like a, a plank walkway, you're actually going up to the next level. So oh. like physics are all screwed up, and 
I can't remember quite what that is, and I haven't been there, but I know the place you're talking about. Right, um, yeah, I, yeah, okay. Most of that is an optical illusion. In other words, we've been to, uh, you know, closer to us is the Magnetic Hill in Moncton, New Brunswick. Now, Ben and I have been there. And uh, it's if you park your car, it it runs backwards, seemingly uphill. But the fact is, the 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 topography is so weird that it's really an optical illusion. You're actually running downhill, but because of the land next to you, it looks like you're going uphill. And they, they make a big, you know, kind of killing with tourists on that. You know, exactly. Yeah, I, it's the way they present it as being real. But you're saying that it's really just an optical illusion. Well, that's that's what I would suspect. I don't know because I haven't been there. But I know that the the magnetic hill, uh, just standing there and looking at the place, I could see that it was an optical illusion. And I've heard that this place in uh, the southwest that you refer to is is uh, something very similar. And I wish okay. I could remember the name of it. But uh, I'm sure it's online. But, I, you know, I, are there real places where there are things? Yeah, when I was in the Coast Guard, we were in the Bermuda Triangle, and the compass on the bridge was flying, it was going around in circles. There were strange, magnet, not for long, fortunately, we not, might not ever have been seen again, but these, these things do occur. There are magnetic anomalies. Uh, we ourselves bring a compass with us on cases to look for magnetic anomalies. Um, and sometimes I've found them, so... There we are. Ben, did you have any comment uh, for Scott? Oh, uh, yeah. I do know what he's talking about, too, because it's like one of those things that's always going to get references to those weird um, natural occurrences, like uh, try like you fall uphill or some stupid thing like that. <laughs> Jack and, and Jill, yeah. Yeah, they, <laughs> like that. Jack yeah, but I think Jill. most of those places are sort of uh, are very interesting, but they aren't, aren't paranormal as far as I know. On right, the other I you know, another thing I'm thinking of, Ben, right now is, is the, uh, the Hutchison effect. And he's, uh, yeah. his son is somebody we're planning to have on the show at some point. And there was a fellow named Hutchison in Ontario, Canada, who came up with supposedly a technique uh, for literally levitating things. And there are photographs of this happening. And uh, through the connection of a connection, I found out that the Canadian military... And I think some U.S. Air Force people are actually were given a demonstration of this by Hutchinson. This goes way back. Uh, so I'd like to. So there are magnetic anomalies, and uh, Tesla, Nikola Tesla, I think, was onto some of this stuff. And um, he was an inventor who really kind of invented everything Good that man. other people took credit for. Yeah. And between the Westinghouse Corporation and the government, they kind of grabbed all his patents, and there are, th there are things that we still haven't been able to find out about. So he was on to something multiversal, in my opinion. So, Scott, I don't you know, know if that answers your question. No, no, that's okay. I, I was, yeah, no, no, pretty much you did. But, uh, you know, you just said about Tesla. That would be a great idea if, if the two of you could do a whole show on him sometime. That would be a great idea, yeah. It's not oh, as if there aren't too many people out there interested in it. You know, well, you know, if you explored it though and, and opened it on your show, I, I wonder how many people would call up, and I bet you'd find out there are a lot more people into what he was doing. I even think, though yeah, he's, he's kind of forgotten, but he still lives. You know, someone will always live as long as we talk about the person. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Well, Tesla was into things like uh, sending power all over the world without wires and things of that kind. And uh, the Tesla coil, I know, is yeah, used. Yeah, the, the internet before it existed. Oh, exactly. Yeah, he, he, it's amazing. 
And uh, he, of course, uh, came up against the um, financial establishment, and that was the end of Tesla. But it was uh, it was quite quite a man. I think that would be a great person to do a show on. And we got one yeah. minute left, so we're done. Okay, okay. I'll let you go. But last thing about Tesla, did he or did he not actually invent radio? Uh, that's going to have to be for another show, Scott. We're flat out of time. Okay. Come Thanks. back next week. We'll see if we can <laughs> can do that. Okay. Right, and Ben, thank you. We'll see you shortly at home. Uh, we, we leave you this evening with some advice from the great New England author, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Finish each day and be done with it. You have done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities no doubt crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. So next week, I suppose we're doing a little backwards here. Uh, next week we will have, who do we have? Oh, we're looking at the wrong page here. We will have... Dr. Rita Louise, sort of an old friend, back with us to talk about were the gods extraterrestrials. So we'll see you next week. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.